sometimes I felt invisible. Like, hey, I'm right here. You don't even see me. You're talking around me. Um, it just reinforced why we needed more women. You sum it all up. It's, it's been, I felt that I made a difference. And I made a difference that uh, was, I felt, positive for the quality of life um, uh, of people in the city of Edmonton. And so um, I wasn't seeing myself in politics. I was tired of partisanship. I'd had some discouraging experiences and I wasn't hearing ideas that I felt compelled or inspired me. I'm just like every other woman. We have to be asked many times. We have to be encouraged. We have to be pushed, whatever, and pulled to see ourselves as being strong enough, good enough, whatever, to, to be an elected person in a decision-making place. Hello, my name is Olivia Beauty. Welcome to Searching for Izena, on womanly stories of female leadership at Edmonton City Hall, brought to you by YWCA Edmonton, Parity Yeg, and several past and present Edmonton City Councillors. 100 years ago, on December 12, 1921, Edmonton elected its first female councillor, Izena Ross. Over the past century, only 30 women have followed in her footsteps, including me. This nine-part podcast, generously sponsored by the Edmund Community Foundation, will tell that wildly incomplete chapter of our city's history, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You will get to meet the 31 female councillors and learn more about why they ran and how they shaped our city. And there are still barriers that need to be broken, even in 2021. Now, let's get started. Our hosts for this political journey are Stacey Brotzel and Kim Ann Wilson. This is a historic day. This is the first of a nine-part series. It's called Searching for Izena. And you're like, who's Izena? We're going to tell you. <laughs> Unwomanly stories of female leadership at Edmonton City Hall. Unwomanly. That sort of is is the word that sticks out in my mind, Kim Ann. I can't say it properly, so <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> what exactly is unwomanly? I'm Stacey Brodsell, uh broadcaster here in the city of Edmonton for uh, 20-odd years, and I'm hanging out with Kim Ann Wilson. She's done this podcast thing before. Yes, This yes. is my first time. <laughs> it's always good to have a first time, Stacey. <laughs> Like you, for me, this is my first time talking anything relating to politics. So people bear with me and uh, be forgiving in that sense. I am Kiman Wilson. I am a business owner and a podcaster, MC, facilitator. Um, that's my background. Not so much the political kind of feel. So this is going to be an interesting journey. So, so why aren't you political? Is it just something you're not interested in? Honestly, no. I think it has a lot to do with some of the things we're going to talk about during this nine months, right? It's that education. It's that unawareness. It's that not knowing how to even look to run. Like, where would I go for information, right? Like, a lot of our listeners probably have the same thoughts. So, for me, that's my perspective. That's how I'm coming across here. So, it's going to be interesting. And I'm excited to see the journeys from these 31 women. Oh, my gosh. It's been 100 years, Stacey. And only 31 and two. 
238 men have been elected it's over bizarre. the years. Yeah. It's bizarre. No, I'm super, super excited for this journey, Stacey, because I mean, nine months of this podcast and we're going to explore different women, their ups, their downs and the history behind it all. Right. So it's going to be over overwhelmingly what did you say stacy unwomanly unwomanly <laughs> Un- and womanly. i'm looking forward to every step of the way in being very unwomanly through this uh journey unlike you i pretty much eat and breathe politics mm-hmm. uh i have talked to a lot of politicians over the years in my journalism career and i in fact married one of them wow so uh <laughs> yes. so politics is kind of uh everywhere in my household wow. and this is <sighs> This is kind of personal for me, mm-hmm. why I want to do this, because mm-hmm. if if ever one of our two daughters mm-hmm. wants to get into politics, I have seen how the sausage is right. made. Right. And ugh, it's <laughs> it, it, it's it, it's not palatable all the time. So I'm I, I'm hoping that once we stop talking and we right. stop having a need for podcasts like this, mm-hmm. uh, that there's just women. Right. Um, uh, there's just it's 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 equal or even possibly e- stacked with more women than men at City Hall. We can stop talking about this. And and maybe one day when somebody says maybe she'll be the next prime minister, I won't go. You won't. Ugh. Yeah. No, I hear you uh, on no, that, Stacey. For I, me, I want her to be happy. Yep. I want her to be the next prime minister. But I know all of the garbage that right. comes along with it. Right. And for me, that's where I'm at. I want to know how the sausage is made, <laughs> you know, especially from. <laughs> Do you, know, you really? <laughs> I want to know how Grab the sausage another beer. is made. <laughs> You know, talking from a, a, you know, a woman of color, right? Like you were speaking, like there's no representation of a woman in color in office, right? Or running even, um, you know, so even exploring that a little bit more and, and listening and hearing their stories as to why women of color don't, aren't involved in this. Why is that? And what can we do to change it? Like you said, if we do hear about, you know, someone who's going to run, we don't cringe and, okay, is she going to make it? Yeah. Is, are you sure you want to do this? Exactly. Are you ready for what's going to come? Yeah, definitely. We're going to be speaking to two current city councillors. Out of 12, there's only two female councillors. Last term, there was only one. We're going to speak to Bev Esslinger and Sarah Hamilton coming up. Uh, But first, we've got some uh, really fantastic guests talking about exactly what we're doing here and how that's going to manifest itself and and what they can look forward to in the next uh, couple of months while we're rolling out the podcasts in the mid-month of every month leading up to the 2021 election. We've got Catherine O'Neill, CEO of YWCA, and Raja McGay, Vice Chair of Research with Parity Yeg. Welcome, ladies. Thanks for having us. We're so excited to be celebrating this anniversary. Thanks for thanks for helping us with this project. So let's talk a little bit about yeah. the project. What is it? What can we expect over the next nine months? Well, I'll take this one because it's a this has been a really interesting journey to today. Um, about a year ago, I think it was. February of 2020, I was heading to a Parity Yeg event, and it was an event that was being hosted to say, hey, the municipal election's coming in 2021. Think about running if you're a woman, get involved. And I remember just heading out to that event, and I thought, as an old journalist, thinking, who was the first woman ever elected? I just didn't know, and I was thinking, that's weird. I don't even know the name. Did a quick Google search, and Izena Ross comes up. But beyond that, very few details were there. And that led me to going to the city archives. Again, I got there, there's a tiny little file about Azina Ross and I thought, how is this possible? This is our very first woman who was ever elected in our city. And how do we not know her story? And then it just kind of snowballed to today. And you know, about three, 
or in the fall of 2020, I was talking to Councillor Bev Eslinger saying, how is this city marking this event? And she said, what event? She didn't know. And so again, we just started making calls out to groups like Paradier. We've been talking to the Edmonton Public Library and this has kind of brought us to today. So searching for Izina is not just searching for Izina's story, but the story of all 31 women who have reached City Hall and the other women who have yet to reach Edmonton City Hall. Wow, that's amazing, Catherine. Oh, wow, I, I can't believe it. Just even just the information you just shared that when you went to search, there was only like a tiny little file, <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm curious because I know with the research you guys have been doing, um, maybe Raja, this is for you. You can speak a little bit more about digging up Izina and trying to find information on her. Like, how's that been going? How is that so far in terms of getting this information, historical information about all these women? What's that been like for for Party Egg? And while you're doing that, tell us a little bit about Party Egg. Who is Party Egg? What do you guys do? And why are you a part of this particular project? So on both the YWCA and the Parity Egg side, we have some really incredible board members and volunteers that have been contributing to this project. So there's 31 files of all the women who have served on city council, and we've had those files assigned to different volunteers who are doing lots of research to try and dig up this information, all these incredible women. So for people who don't know what Parity Egg is, we're a grassroots multipartisan organization and our mission is to increase gender parity in public office. We have members from all over the political spectrum and really wanna to work towards getting gender equity in government. And, you know, a hundred years in that time, we've just elected 31 women compared to 238 men, and that includes city councillors and mayors. And in those hundred years, only one woman has served as mayor. We've only reached gender parity once in 1989 when Jan Reimer was mayor. And um, that right there in itself is good proof that when you elect women, the systems change. So let's talk about how Edmonton stacks up to other jurisdictions around Canada. I know just outside of Edmonton's borders uh, in St. Albert, there's seven people on council, including the mayor, and four out of the seven are women. So can we put some context into how Edmonton stacks up? I, I can't remember there being a, a woman mayor in Calgary. I, I'm not quite sure about, uh, I don't remember even one in Vancouver. How, how does Edmonton stack up in terms of representation on council? Yeah, so from our last municipal census, women make up 52% of Edmonton's population, but there's only 15% of city councillors as women, um, which is really sad to see. We only have two female city councillors. Vancouver has eight, Saskatoon has five, and Winnipeg has five. And even if you look to Calgary, Calgary has three. So we're really falling behind and we need to ask ourselves why that is. And uh, an initiative that Parity Egg has right now with another organization called Ask Her YYC, we're putting on a very friendly competition to see which organization, which city can get the most female candidates on the ballot in the 2021 election. And we are going to be actually speaking to the, the two uh, female councillors currently sitting on city council, Bev Eslinger and Sarah Hamilton, a little bit later uh, in this episode. Right. That's so that's that's exciting. So, Raja, just before you you um, you go, we just wanted to ask. So like you were saying, you got that competition going and everything for the 2021. Um, why do you think women aren't 
involved or why why do you think there is in that this you know that disconnect and and not enough women being being educated is it do you think it's about education do you think it's about knowledge um why do you think women don't know and, and aren't running yeah so i think a lot of a lot of us here a lot of people listening can attest to the fact that there are incredibly qualified women out there but they just haven't taken the next steps to running for office and Sometimes it's because our political structures are gendered. They were historically designed by men for men. And it wasn't until the 1960s that voting rights were extended to all women in Canada. Um, Political issues are gendered as well. Women are likely to be associated with social issues and the soft issues rather than economics or finances. And there's a lot of barriers to running for office initially as well, like harassment, online, um, trying to balance family and political life in a way that male candidates don't. And depending on things like their race, gender identity, physical ability, the the barriers become even greater. We're speaking today with... We're speaking today with Catherine O'Neill, CEO of YWCA, and Raja McGay, Vice Chair of Research and Parody uh, of Parody Yeg. And Raja, I cut you off. What were you going to say? My apologies. No worries. I was just also going to say that um, there is that voter bias. Uh, We're so used to seeing the very specific type of person lead over and over again. And um, leadership can be defined by very traditionally masculine traits. So we need to shake the system up a bit more and and start seeing women in those roles. Uh, Catherine, I just have to ask you about what this podcast is is being used for and the stories that are going to be told. And sure, this is a rah, rah, let's get more women uh, voices uh, in our, uh, our chambers uh, at City Hall. However, we dug up a lot of things about some of the women that have run over the years, 31, and we're certainly not going to sugarcoat it, aren't we? We're, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly about the women that have already uh, taken their seat at, uh, at council chambers. Yeah, you know, it's going to be as a committee and as a group of volunteers uh, that are leading this, we really made a commitment early on that we wanted an honest look at this. We do know that there's been huge progress during this period, but, you know, we still have never had a woman of color serve at City Hall. Um, we know that that some women have had track records that, you know, are not great. And we want to be really honest about what has happened in our city during this time. But overall, this project, you know, we want to leave an historical document by the end. And that's why this, this podcast is going to help tell many of these stories. We're going to also be hosting events every month um, for people to have deeper conversations. We have a website, searchingforizina.com, where people can come and look at the past women who have served and hear interviews and dig a little deeper themselves. And also find tools about how they can get involved. You don't just need to run. Sometimes it's about getting involved on a campaign or supporting a candidate with a donation or just being really educated about what's happening in your own city. Um, We just really want to open folks' eyes to this amazing chapter of our history that has not really been told and hopefully inspire more folks to get involved uh, for future generations, particularly women and gender diverse folks. 
that's amazing. Thank you so much, Catherine and Raja. Um, just wanted to to go back to what you were saying, Catherine, regarding the historical, um, you know, regarding these women and the fact that it is history, right? And with history comes controversy because, you know, with these women and with politics and especially we believe or they believe they're doing the right things at the time, at that time. But as we grow, as we move on, as we evolve, like time changes truth changes right so for women i mean when we're looking back at, at at these journeys and we're going through sitting down with these women interviewing them and everything um some things we may find may not be accurate right now but in their time it may be something that was okay so you know this is something that i'm looking forward to exploring with everyone and seeing it's like getting a snapshot of what life was back then in their era, right? What was what was allowed, what wasn't allowed, and how how life was for them, right? And seeing how things have changed now while we're in 2021, it's going to be really interesting. But I know for a fact there's going to be things that will come up, and you know we're going to have our, our raised eyebrows about it. But it's going to be in all fun, and it's all it's all going to be in education and knowledge. So I'm looking forward to that. Catherine and Raja, thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, we look forward to this journey. Catherine, go ahead. Yeah, I just want to, and you made a great point, just will show the evolution of our city and how women particularly have shaped the city. And I want to leave you with one thing that in the research that we've done, because I think it really sets the table for this project. But so Izina was elected. She served one year, December 12th, 1921. And in the paper the next day, the mayor of the of, mayor of that council, Mayor Dugan said, quote, I welcome Miss, Mrs. Ross to the council with a sincere confidence that the assistance and advice which can be gained from this new channel will pr prove beneficial to the city. So that was in 1921, wow. December 12th. And, you know, a lot has happened in this century. So this project, I hope folks listen, they follow along, they share this information and they get involved and help us commemorate this very big milestone for our city. Definitely. Thank you so much, Catherine O'Neill from YWCA and Raja McGay from Parody Yeg. Coming up in just a minute, a discussion with two female city councillors. They're actually there. They're on the front lines. What's it like for them? Is it different? Uh, do they feel like their voices are being heard? They are currently in the chamber. We're going to hear from them, Bev Esslinger and Sarah Hamilton, about what it's like to be the only female voices in a council of 12. Thank you for listening to Searching for Izina. This podcast was made possible thanks to the generous financial support of the Edmonton Community Foundation. We also want to thank the Edmonton Public Library, the City of Edmonton Archives, the Adams Agency, and Ryan Jesperson for the generous use of his Real Talk recording studio. Check out searchingforizina.com for a full list of this project sponsors, partners, and committee members. Searching for Izina has been largely powered by volunteers from across the capital region. From research to social media to marketing, volunteers of all ages, backgrounds, and political leanings are helping bring Searching for Izina to life during a pandemic and countless Zoom calls. Thanks to the former and current Edmonton City Councillors who have helped us tell their important stories. Now, back to searching for Izina. And that was Olivia Beauty. 
And she's a beauty of a city councilor and a beauty of a woman. She is now 82 years old. She said that when she served uh, in city council, uh, she was paid $7,200. Wow. Yeah. Kind that, of interesting. Obviously, pittance, but obviously this was this yeah. was uh, decades ago. We're going to be speaking to two city councillors who make significantly more than $7,200 a year. <laughs> we should hope so. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. Uh, let's welcome in uh, two current city councillors taking seats in the chamber. We've got Beth Eslinger. This is her second term, uh, obviously, uh, coming up in uh, the fall of 2021. She could be running again. And, of course, we have Sarah Hamilton as well. This is her first term on city council. Well, Welcome, awesome. ladies. Awesome. Thanks so, for having us. <laughs> yeah. So, ladies, um, let's start with you, Bev. Um, tell us a little bit about your journey. Why did you choose to to run? Why, why are you here? I choose to run because former city councillor Kim Crichel was not going to run. And she says, Bev, you have to run. <laughs> I said, why? She says, because I had been a school trustee and she said, I know you'll take care of the people and I don't want to leave it without someone to care for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we, she goes, and I'm not leaving until you say yes. <laughs> it was a very long conversation, but uh, really, it was really because I had served as a school board trustee. I enjoyed serving my community. And um, so that really got me thinking, why not me? So mm-hmm. that kind of thought, hey, I can do this. Mm-hmm. Why was your first reaction? Why? Was there a whole bunch of things? I, I, obviously, you were serving, uh, you, you were elected. So you already had a taste of what it was like. What was it that about city council? You're just like, mm, why? Why would I do that? It sounded like there was a bit of disdain, perhaps, in your answer to Kim. Um. Because I didn't know all the details of a city. I I didn't know about utilities and waste management. So I thought, you know, I don't know that kind of things. But what I do know is we had a great, a good city and I wanted to serve people because for me, it's always about people. And so I started thinking about how do I make our city even better? Mm -hmm. How do we serve residents even better? And Mm -hmm. that's the hook for me is um, people. So do you think do you think then we need to have that background information about the city in order to, you know, um, announce or even have the interest to run? Do we need to have that backstory? Because you said, you know, for you, you didn't know about Do you need it. I don't think you need it. I think you can learn it. I think if you desire to make a difference, um, we do a lot of reading, a lot of studying. So you can learn all those technical pieces. Oh, we have great experts at the city. Mm-hmm. What we need is people that are willing to champion uh, causes or people within the city and to make it better and to help people through some difficult challenges. So, Sarah, when you ran last election, uh, Bev was the only other woman on council. Did you did you ever think that there was a there was a need for more female voices? And, and is that part of the reason you ran, or or were there other reasons? There probably were lots of other reasons, uh, but that oh, was probably uh, yeah. high up on 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 your decision making process. Or is that did that not even factor in? It it was definitely a factor. I I mean. So I got asked to, I wasn't, I was already involved in politics. I'd been a political volunteer for a number of years and I really enjoyed that work. Um, but I had also found that um, as happens when you're a political volunteer, you're like, I want to see this happen. And people go, well, yeah, that'd be nice, but 
no one's going to champion it. It's not, if it's not someone's priority, it's no one's priority. So I wanted to get more involved. Now, um, going back to 2016, um, when I was first asked to run, I had some friends, uh, including former mayor, Stephen Mandel, who said, you should really consider running. And at the time I've told this story before, I was so taken aback by it that I literally looked around to see if like I was the one people were talking to about it. Um, but I started to take it seriously uh, in late 2016 because of what we saw happening with women. Um, and if I may be candid, because we're talking about women in politics, one of the reasons I, I didn't want to run in the first place at any level was because I was afraid of being called something nasty. And in 2016, that changed because I got called the nastiest thing you can get called as a woman. Um, but I'm, I was still standing. I was, I was mad. I was frustrated. Um, I felt all those things when you get called that one word that like hits you in your core. But I was, I was still there. And I thought, you know, that's the reason we need more women in politics. Because if people can throw that word out at you, then... Uh, and I'm still standing. Um, I think I think most women have been called that word, and we're all still standing. But that's the reason you need more you need more women at the table. That's the reason you need more women in politics. Um, and that's the reason that keeps me going because you still those words get still get thrown at women. You know, I'm that's curious. the reason you, you need more people. I'm curious, yeah. Sarah. I'm, I'm curious about the one word because <laughs> I'm curious about the one word, and I know it may not be something we can say on air. But you can yeah. sure share the first letter. It's a C. It's a, okay. You know, I got okay. The C word. Understood. Yeah. Understood. And you're still standing. <laughs> I'm still standing, but um, you can. I and th those words get hurled at women. I think yep. that's pretty standard. Um, but that to me was a reason, you know, of many reasons that you need more women at the table because it's still somewhat okay to say those. Like, it's not okay, mm -hmm. but it's common to say that. And until you have more women at the table, until you have more women advocating for the things I think everyone wants to see, mm -hmm. um, the, it's still going to be something that women in politics have to contend with. And the reason I share that now is because um, that was a reason I had thought not to run. Mm. And then it became the reason of why shouldn't you run? Because it didn't matter what I said or did. You're going to get called that. Uh, Sarah, I agree with you 100%. I think to me what it looks like yeah. or what it is, is, is it doesn't seem like the norm. Right. For women to be in these positions and to be in these in, in these places. So it's not the norm. So when a woman do go forward and being in these positions, then you get called these names. Right. You get called out because it's not the norm. You're, you're trying to go against what normality looks like and what the city should have. Right. A big representation of, of, of what sausages, Sarah. <laughs> so Stacey. <laughs> We talked a little bit earlier about how I'm a little bit more politically savvy than Kim Ann, just because while I live in a political household, I live with a former politician. And I, I said, uh, I, see, I see how the sausages are made. And for, and I, you know, I aspire to have my kid run in the family business if she chooses to. Not, um, uh, you know, people will say to you sometimes, well, my kid's going to be the next prime minister. And you're just like, 
oh, do you -hmm. know what that means? Do you know what that comes with? Do you know what they're going to be called on the way there? Do you know how terrible a ride that is? I'm just like, "Mm, I don't think I want my kid to be the prime minister. I want to get to the point where you go, yeah, I want my daughter to be the prime minister. Damn right. And with more women on city council and in the Alberta legislature and uh, in Parliament Hill, that, I guess, is what you're saying, Sarah. That will happen, perhaps, yeah. it, it, because it becomes more normal, because we're used right. to seeing these faces. We're not going to be calling <laughs> our uh, our federal environment minister environment Barbie, right? <laughs> Climate Barbie. And, and I and I hope that that normalization, if we're calling it, because, man, I think we've come a lot farther than perhaps we have. But every mm-hmm. step of the way, every step... You know, it it, it 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 makes a difference. And yeah. and Bev, I know you have two kids and I know you're a grandma. Mm-hmm. And I know that this question gets lobbed at women and never gets lobbed at men. Mm-hmm. Balance. Do you think women are more concerned about balance or, or are men more concerned about women and how they balance <laughs> their work and, and their the life? question you get asked all the time. How do you balance your but Men never do. No. They never do. And when women are running, they'll say... How are you going to do that? How are you going to do that? I've been asked to speak on balance so many times. And I said, anything that's really important to do, you figure out whether you're a man or a woman, but you shouldn't have to ask women that. But women are natural caregivers, mm-hmm. which is really makes why sense why they should be in politics because they care about what happens to the people in their lives. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. I think when uh, a woman thinks about running, she's thinking... Do I have the skills? Do I know all the things I need to know? Am I equipped? Uh, You know, should I do it? And they weigh all those things out. A man thinks, yeah, I think I can do it. I'll run. (laughs) No one has to ask him to run. He volunteers. Women need to be encouraged to run. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just not on our normal radar. I hope we normalize it so much that women think about running and think, yeah, I can do that. So then, Sarah, uh, this one's for you, probably. So do you think then there needs to be a, a support around women that will encourage them to go and actually run? Or do you think it's kind of something that's, you know, self-identifiable? Like you just get up and you go or, you know, we need that support system. I don't think it's either or. Um, and I first of all, I want to give huge accolades to Bev. Because first day I was elected to council, Beth comes into my office and she says, we're the women's caucus now. <laughs> and she's made, <laughs> she's made um, tremendous efforts, not just uh, on council, but in the region nationally, uh, in terms of encouraging women to run in politics. And um, she's, she's quiet about it, but she's been grinding away at this since before I was on council. Uh, and that's, it's really important work. So I, I, I want to acknowledge that we have like one of the top champions of women in politics in our city and representing our people. Um, but to your question, um, I, I brought up Bev because um, I've been so lucky to have someone who's been really supportive. Um, we, we sit down, I think, and talk about not just the things that are happening on council, But our priorities, we talk about our frustrations, we talk about what's going on in our personal lives, um, and and you need that. Um, But I I also think, uh, and I've tried to to do that with other women um, in the region who are thinking about running, Um, I think that often we frame 
women in politics as you have to run or else. Like there's there's not another option. Something I've tried to frame is that we need women in leadership. We don't just need women on council. We need women in leadership. So we need women who are willing to join boards and become the chairs of boards. We need women who are going to um, join a political campaign and sign up for a key role and learn that. And we need women who are going to go be the president of their community league. We need women to take on leadership roles, not just political leadership roles. Uh, and, uh, you know, it struck me at the party level how many women are actually the presidents of their their uh, their electoral district associations, how many women are presidents of their constituency associations, but they, didn't, they don't want to get in front of it. And for a lot of, I think, really practical reasons, people don't want to run in politics. Um, but we can't sort of write people out of leadership because they don't want to be part of a specific type of leadership. I think we have to enable um, women to, to develop those skills. Um, and political leadership will come out of that, but there's a broader benefit to our community. We have better leaders. So, so where do you start to do that? Is that to me? Yeah, sure. Whoever, want whoever, wants, yeah. whoever wants to take that can take it and run with it. Bev, what, what do you think? Where do you where do you start? You were you were the only female voice last council. So Sarah had you to talk to and and <laughs> as a mentor, if you wanted a female mentor on council, Bev, you probably had to look to former city councilors, perhaps Kim Crischel. Where do where do we start uh, to begin the process that that Sarah laid out? I think we need to get encourage women to think about leadership opportunities and to go after them. Um, I don't think you have to wait to, till you've got it all together. And I think that's a misconception. People feel like I, I can't give it 100%. I'm not going to do it. Um, we need them to step up wherever they're at, whether it's at their community league, whatever other organization. There's so many nonprofits. And I want to say that in our city, many of our nonprofits are run by women. Women are serving in many leadership positions, but they don't seem to always translate into politics. And I think part of the challenge is it's because of how they're treated or they perceive other people are treated. I've heard some people that I thought were just dynamic women. They said, I am not putting myself and my family through that. There's no way, um, which is really unfortunate because we need our council to reflect our community. And until it's at least 50% women, we haven't done that. And we need it to be diverse. And we need it to have all those voices at the table. Then we've arrived. We just got so much more work to do. Every time a woman comes to my office and say, do you think I should run for office? I go, yes. <laughs> and she goes, yeah, but I said, yes. If you've thought about it enough to come this point to see somebody, go for it. And why is it so important, Bev? Why is it so important to have more female voices in council? Well, not only do they represent the population, but we all see things differently. Um, and it was, I was teasing last, just last week, there was an issue where Sarah and I voted, the whole women's caucus voted together. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't happen often, but the point is we see things differently. And we need all those voices. And I think the other thing that women bring to the table is uh, collaboration. Women are consensus builders naturally. Um, I always say the best training I ever had 
to be a politician was I was a mother of teenagers. <laughs> um, you know, I've heard people cry and yell and still I make the right decision, the best decision I can. Um, and that's really politics. We get pulled in many directions and we've got to make the right decision on behalf of people. And so the more women we have at the table and data will tell you, you need at least 30% to really have that strong voice. Um, we doubled last time. I'd love to double again. Um, and then we can really make a difference at the table. Sarah, it looks like you want to say something. Um, I was I was thinking about um, what Bev was talking about in terms of representation. Uh, I think last term, Bev, you you advocated for maternity leave for a lot of, for city council, and that's gone province wide at this point, I believe, which is a tremendous legacy. Um, but I was thinking about how often the barriers that women have in their own hearts and minds about maybe why they couldn't run for council. Um, I don't, I don't know that men face those barriers in the same way. Um, women wonder if they can be a mother and a city councilor really effectively, if they can take care of aging parents really effectively, um, if they can meet the challenges of their personal life with a very engaging professional life. And I think about that question a lot and I don't have a really, I, I have a lot of sort of answers to that, but the, I think at the heart of it is that if you want, if, if you're building the city that we're building, if you're building us towards 2 million people, if you're building towards a diverse and resilient city, those challenges, you don't run for council in spite of those challenges. You run for council because of them. Uh, and I see that because um, because those are challenges that Edmontonians face every day. And to be able to hear the fear in a mother's voice uh, or father's voice when they worry about their kid crossing the street and that street not being safe and to empathize with that, to hear about concerns that a city isn't accessible so seniors can't get out and walk uh, and, and hear that concern and feel that concern, those are the things that make you a really good city councillor. Understanding a zoning bylaw, understanding... Uh, utilities frameworks, those you can learn. Um, but that deep empathy that, that comes from lived experience, that comes from um, being a part of the city uh, with all the challenges that come with being a woman or a mother or um, a caregiver um, or not being a mother, uh, living in the suburbs, living in an urban area, those are experiences that you need on council. Those are experiences you need reflected in the leadership of your city. Yeah. I want to share just a, a real quick study to you guys. And I think this may put things in a, a little bit more perspective for, for everyone, including our listeners. In 2014, there was a Harvard business study that was done in regards to when people are applying for jobs. Right. And what they want, what they wanted to see is how many um, men versus women apply for jobs based on how they rate mm -hmm. themselves in qualifications, right? And in requirements. And apparently men apply for the jobs when they met like 60%, you know, of the qualifications, whereas women won't apply until they meet 100% of what's listed in the qualifications. And I think that's largely part of the issue as women, we have that 
um, self-confidence or that self-doubt, right? That, you know, maybe I'm not ready yet. I'm not worthy. I can't do this yet. And, and we are so quick to criticize ourselves. And I think most times we, as women, we're our worst, our worst critics, you you know, and, and, and it shows in every area of, of life, in leadership, in business, in work, in everything, because we'd rather push somebody else rather than nominate ourselves to go forward. That's absolutely so true. And you hear that time and time again about women going into politics. And some say, I'm not the right age. Well, good grief. What is the right age? (laughs) The age, you're the right age when you're interested in doing it, when you want to make a difference. doesn't matter if you're 21 or 61. It's when you are at the place that you really want to jump in. And uh, I think we have to forget and put all those barriers around what's the right age, what's the right qualification, the right is if you're interest, interested in doing it, you need to go for it. So how do we start? Like, especially for me, um, you know, I moved to Canada in 2010. I started in Ontario, moved here um, in Alberta 2013. So for me, I've never really thought about um, entering politics or anything like that, right? But, um, you know, this is a learning journey for me as well, going through this nine this nine part series and, you know, hearing all your stories and everything and how there's no representation, like for someone to speak on my behalf too, you know what I mean? So um, for, from my perspective and for, you know, anybody listening that would kind of resonate with what I'm saying, how do I start? If I wanted to do this, like, what's the first thing that I do? You know, whenever anyone says that they are interested in running in politics or getting engaged in politics, I've got two streams. One is if you're not sure if it's right for you or if you want to get involved and you're not sure if you want to run, go out and help a campaign, go out and help someone meet people I've met some of my best friends on campaigns uh, and we have uh, ended up on opposite sides of things. Um, But there's a fellowship that comes from um, working with people towards a common goal. Uh, And at the end of the day, that's what politics is about. It's about working together with a diverse group of people, some of whom Bev can attest, you do not agree with on, on some things, Um, but towards, Uh, making your community better, making your city better, um, making sure that your perspective, whether it's as a woman or as a person of color is at the table and uh, uh, having the ear of a candidate, being part of that team. um, I know I've personally benefited from having folks at the table who are saying, I see things differently than that and, and consider you know, consider this perspective. It's made me a better city councillor. It made me a better candidate. But if you want to run, um, you know, you don't you don't run successfully. And I'm going to define success not necessarily as winning um, because you, the only one person gets to win. But if you're going to run um, and mount a really good campaign, you have to get out and meet people in the neighborhood. Now, what what does that mean in, in the time of COVID? Um, I think a lot of people are trying to navigate that, but I think it does mean trying to form connections with people, understand what their concerns are. Uh, I remember early on in my campaign, a lot of, um, issues that didn't seem important to me. Um, somebody, somebody told me, you know, this might not seem like an important issue to you, but for someone out there, it's what makes the city great. 
um, and getting those diverse perspectives. When you talk to um, 5,000 or 10,000 or 13,000 people, you get out of your bubble. And I think so much of being engaged in your community, being engaged in politics is about getting out of um, the bubble you live in. Um, your, you know, not just your own family and friends, but, uh, you know, if you live in a certain community or engage with a certain community, there might be a certain perspective on that. And understanding the diverse voices um, that make up our city is, is really helpful. And if you decide to run, you decide not to run, that makes you a better person, regardless of how you, what you decide to do with it. That's an experience that makes you um, better at whatever you decide to do next. We're speaking right now to Edmonton's two female city councillors, Bev Eslinger and Sarah Hamilton. Um, Sarah was talking earlier, Bev, about uh, mentors, and you were one of them when she went to city council. What female leaders can women look up to? And and I'm I, I'm 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 saying there's no borders here. This could be worldwide. This could be uh, in Spruce Grove. This could be in Saskatchewan. This could be in Arkansas. What female leaders should people look up to? And and, and I'm hoping there's another female leader besides Margaret Thatcher because I'm really tired of hearing <laughs> that name being drawn up all the time. There has to be a, a fantastic female leader that women could look up to in, in the last uh, decade. Well, you know, the one I think everyone is watching is New Zealand and the Prime Minister, uh, Jacinta, I think. And uh, she has made some really compassionate yet difficult decisions. And I think as we look around the world, there's many countries now that have women at the helm or more women speaking up. And they are leading differently than they've ever before. And I think um, some of the challenges that we're facing, um, we need to just look at it through a compassionate or a human lens. And I think that's what attracts me when I look at leaders around the world and I think who's doing the right thing. It's people that are leading with their heart and that are making all the other details work. Because if we really think about people um, and protecting people and helping people be successful, wherever they are, their city, their province, their country is successful. I get excited when I I watch some of the young leaders around me and uh, we meet as women politicians in the region from a municipal level. And I love hearing their stories and some of the challenges they're facing um, we're just there to support one another. And when I was the only woman, I purposely sought out women across the city that were on chairman of boards, that were leading different organizations, because I needed people around me um, to uh, bounce ideas off, mostly to listen to what's going on. Um, because we, we don't know everything, but we need to be open to hear if we are listening to people, we'll make better decisions. Mm. And of course, Bev, you're talking about Jacinda Ardern. She is the uh, Prime Minister of New Zealand. I think, it, uh, check me if I'm mistaken, she had a baby while in office. She was elected in 2017. Absolutely. She banned assault rifles after a terrible massacre there within days, wow. pretty much. Uh, and has pretty much eradicated COVID on her island nation. Holy. So uh, a female leader that we can definitely <laughs> get behind for sure. Well, they say if you want something done, you get a woman to do it, right? 
<laughs> but that being said, I wanted to ask, because I remember, um, I think, Sarah, you're the one that spoke about women being naturally, you know, nurturing and caregivers and that kind of thing, right? Whereas our male counterparts are, are not so much concerned about that piece. But, you know, based on that, what is what what has been your experience, you know, being in council? Um, I know it's your first term, but do you feel you've been treated differently, like compared to like, you know, the other men and, and stuff like that? What's your experience been like so far? Um, it was it was Bev that actually brought that up, that women tend to be caregivers. Um, I don't feel that I get treated differently by my colleagues. I don't want to speak for Bev, but I've actually found that many of my colleagues, particularly ones that have been there a really long time, have actually been some of my best ally. Mm. Um, you know, Bev aside, um, I've I sought out to develop really strong relationships with um, some of my uh, other colleagues and um, they have been mentors in their own way and how to deal with um, some of the challenging situations that, um, that you end up facing. Now I'm going to tell a funny story. Bev knows the story. She likes to tell it um, that uh, it's not that you get treated differently by people in the hallway. It's that, um, people outside the hallway will treat you differently. So when I first got elected, most of the questions I got um, when it came to media interviews were about being a young woman in politics. Um, and one day Bev and I had a breakfast scheduled and I got a call to go talk about, I think it was cannabis legislation and the cannabis bylaw. I sat on urban planning committee and I go into Bev's office and I was like, Bev, I got to ask, can we move our lunch, our breakfast date? Because I got asked to speak about the cannabis bylaw and um, I don't think there's anything wrong with getting asked to speak about women in politics, but when you only get asked to speak about women's issues, when you only get asked to speak about um, issues with children or issues in the arts, those, those uh, what are perceived as softer issues, mm -hmm. you miss that you need women who have a lens on cannabis bylaws. You need women who have a lens on policing and, and police reform. Um, so she, she's, she was amazing. She was like, of course, we'll just meet a little bit later. So I went and I did my interview. Um, and I, you know, it can, it can be hard as you know, if you work in media, you have a limited attention span. Um, but you know, a, that was about a year in, um, you notice that you only get asked certain questions. So I had to make an effort to, to speak on the issues that I cared about, not just the ones I got asked about. And I think the further back we go, this answer may change, right? In terms of how women are treated, right? I think maybe when we 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 interview some of the the, the earlier um, city councilors, maybe their answers will be will be a little bit different. But for you, Bev, how how, how is or was your experience um, going into this so far? What's what's it been like for you? Um, when I was elected, and I was told I was the only woman on council, I think the first day I did eight media questions about. How does it feel? Um, we never ask men how they feel, but that's another story. Um, but I didn't know anything else. Uh, that was my experience. Um, and I think one of the things I learned was to take uh, take the opportunity that was in front of me. Uh, we did we did a lot of we had childcare policies and child friendly policies and maternity leaves. Because really, which one of the guys was going to vote against it that term? Um, take advantage of what you have the opportunity to do. And I, I think 
sometimes I felt invisible, like I'm in the room too. No one's <laughs> even talking to me about any of these issues. I felt invisible. Um, it just reminds you that you have to take every opportunity to speak up when you can. Um, and I think the other thing that I learned quickly is the media would ask me those softball questions always. Mm-hmm. And now, Bev, how do you feel? <laughs> um, you know, and I could talk about drainage like the next one, um, but that's not the question I got asked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, no, this is this is so exciting. I'm excited for the other nine or eight more episodes that we've got to do with this, you know, and, you know, as we go through this and, and, and this big project that we're working on, you know, um, Sarah and Bev, I'm going to throw this to you guys, but I'll start with Sarah, you know, from this nine part series talking about, you know, your experiences and, and all those that's, 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 um, come before you, what do you hope would come from this project? Like what, 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 what's your hopes that will, um, you know, the, the reaction, the action, of women in general, or even, you know, as far as men too, what do you hope to get from this campaign? Um, I'm a, first of all, I'm a student of history. So anytime you have the opportunity to collect the stories of people, especially the, the people and the women in the city, that's, uh, I think, a tremendous opportunity and a tremendous asset. Um, so that makes me really excited what I hope that people take away from this is that you, there's going to be a breadth of uh, experiences, but I also think that there's going to be a lot of shared themes. Um, I'm hoping, uh, and I'm, I'm speculating here, I haven't heard any of your interviews, but that people um, will talk about their desire to serve their community, their desire to think, see things different, their desire to, to um, build a better city. Uh, And I don't think those change, whether you're talking about the 1920s or the 1950s or um, the 1970s or today, I think, I think there's those commonalities and, uh, and that's beautiful to me. You know, that's, that's a connection that um, you have with Olivia Booty and you have with Margaret Krang and you have with Isaiah Ross is that shared desire. Um, I'm hoping we see that. I hope we see that the challenges, they look different. Um, but they're, they're always present. There's always a reason that someone says you shouldn't do what you're going to do. And that to me is always funny. Um, the reason women shouldn't run in the twenties versus the thirties versus the fifties mm. or the seventies. Um, there's always going to be a reason I, I think, but I hope people find that, uh, the reasons people do it and the reasons that women are successful, um, those don't change either. Those are, um, beautiful and everlasting and they're what built the city thank you so much guys that was fantastic and i guess as as a part of the media for the past 26 years i i i, I take some of that load on me right uh, i know that i probably asked you that i probably was one of the people who asked you bev <laughs> but i think as a woman you want to know how do you feel mm-hmm. how 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 can i do this mm-hmm. i want to know how does How this happen? Yeah. Can I can I do this? And 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 can you know? Uh, I I also go to my my kids' uh, Christmas concerts. And and what happens? What are the hours? And will I be away a lot? So I think uh, as as a female um, journalist, I ask them because I'm like, is this is this possible? But you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna take some of the blame. Bev Eslinger on that for the media because you know what I've done it before and asked about balance and I just sort of feel dirty afterwards balance I you know what guess what that has never been on my question list 
ever. No, I think it's valid. I think it's valid, Stacey, because as women, we we, we need that conversation, Mm -hmm. right? We need to know what your experience was like, because then I want to see if I can also recreate (laughs) it for myself. Like, how can I fit it in? How can I shift things around? Okay, you did it. Okay, perfect. I think I can manage it as well. So I think we do need to have these conversations so that other women can see and hear and see the journey, hear the journey, see what, you know, how you've been able to go through it. And then I think with that, then they can start to to conceptualize how they can actually do it as well. So this is this is this is a conversation that needs to be had, and I'm just shocked that it's just happening in 2021. Yes, what definitely? Well, I'm very excited it's happening, and I hope what you really see, um, and I'll speak for myself, is how imperfect people can come together and make a difference in our community. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be all together. There's a lot of things that I cannot do. Um, don't ask me to make a pie or anything like that. <laughs> uh, but, I, I think I'm actually know, po- married to one of those imperfect <laughs> politicians. <laughs> Real, right? I think that, that guy couldn't do laundry to, to save his that. life. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I think it's important to talk about it. You know, the, the issue is that you want to run is you want to make a difference. You can learn a lot of it. But if you do it for the right reasons, anybody can do it. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks so much, Sarah Hamilton, Bev Esslinger, both city councillors currently um, at City Hall. And coming up on the next Searching for Izina podcast, we hear about Izina herself. Yeah. We learn who she was, um, why we had to dig so hard to find information about her. Earlier, we spoke to Catherine, who shared a little bit about the tiny, tiny, tiny little bit of information yeah. that was given or in the archives yeah. for Izina. Yeah, so it took months for them to even find mm-hmm. a photo. The first female city councilor and there's no photos of her. It's crazy. None. But we did find one. And of yes. course we're gonna be posting that on the YWCA uh website. Yeah, yeah. Paula so, Simons is a storyteller, a former journalist, of course, a current Canadian senator, and she's always a bit of a hoot, but she hates chocolate. She is the only <laughs> person I know who hates chocolate. <laughs> I think we need to talk to her about that. We oh, yeah. should. We, we should. Ben- That's very unwomanly. <laughs> That's unpersonally. Come on. <laughs> Who hates chocolate? Anyway, we'll, we'll dig into that as well. Looking forward to that podcast. Yes. Look for it in February. So we will hear from her and Lisa Holmes, who has spent hours in the archives looking for information on Izina and other early women counselors. And that episode will be released in the third month, third week of, of February. Yes. Until then, keep searching for Izina. You've been listening to Searching for Izena, brought to you by YWCA Edmonton, Perley Yeag, and several past and present Edmonton City Councillors. New episodes from our nine-part podcast are released the third Tuesday of every month until October. Please check our show notes, social media, and searchingforizena.com for more information about this project and how you can get involved. Share this with your friends and family and leave us a review. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, keep searching for Azena.